Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. The Spirit of the Lord is with us today, amen? You may not be aware of Him yet. You may not be encouraged by that if you have something in your life and you do not want His reminder that you need to give that up and give that to Him. But He is here with us today. Since Pentecost, the church... But he's defeated. So I like to remind him of that every chance I get. You want to change that for me? Thank you. Turn with me to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. Before we go to the book of Revelation this morning, I want to share with you a passage that a dear friend of ours shared with me this morning as she was in fellowship with the Lord in her devotionals this morning, and God brought her to Isaiah 57. Thank you. God said, thou art wearied, verse 10, in the greatness of thy way, yet saidest not thou, there is no hope. Thou hast found the life of thine hand, therefore thou wast not grieved. In other words, you should be scared. You should be worried, but you think you got it under control. You think you're going to take care of this problem, and of whom hast thou been afraid or feared that thou hast lied and hast not remembered me, nor laid it to thy heart? Have not I held my peace even of old, and thou fearest me not? I will declare thy righteousness and thy works, for they shall not profit thee. Friend, there are people who think that they're okay with God because they think that they're good enough. They think that their works are what is going to save them in the day of judgment. And God said, I'm going to take your righteousness into account. I'll declare all of it. And it's not going to help you one bit. And so, when thou criest, verse 13, let thy companies deliver thee. Let your idols deliver thee. Let the gods you've been trusting in deliver thee, if they can. But the wind shall carry them all away. Do you remember how the Holy Spirit fell on that first Pentecost where the church was born, not the first Pentecost in history. For 1,500 plus years, the nation of Israel had been practicing for Pentecost, rehearsing what was going to happen on that day. 
when the Holy Spirit fell. And yet, despite all of those centuries practicing over and over every year the Feast of Pentecost, most of them missed it. But to those who got it, to those who got Him, the Spirit came, He manifested as flames of fire above the apostles, the disciples' heads, and He came as a mighty rushing wind. The wind is often symbolic of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. We see it in Genesis chapter 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void darkness fell upon the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God, like wind, was hovering and moving. Ripples in the water, I believe, as He hovered above them. He was there on Pentecost and He'll be there on the Day of Judgment. He'll be there on the Day of Judgment when He blows away all of the idols that man will still be trusting in. He that putteth his trust in me, however, shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Doesn't matter whether the Dome of the Rock is on the mountain for now, because the Spirit of God is going to blow that thing down. And He's not going to need to huff and puff. He's just going to knock it right over. And shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of My people. For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Do you understand that to be saved, you must humble yourself? What do you mean, pastor? I didn't think you, you could do anything to be saved. Well, you must admit that you need a savior. You must admit that you are a sinner in need of a savior that you cannot save yourselves. And that is an act of humility that many in the world today will, will refuse to take. Even when the seals are unleashed and judgment falls, even when the day of the Lord begins, the trumpets blow, those first sick trumpets of revelation, they will refuse to trust in anyone but themselves and the gods that they have placed their faith in over the one true God. But see, to receive forgiveness of sins, you must admit that you are a sinner. But here's the great thing. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will lift you up. And when you believe that Jesus died for your sin, that He rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave, that the price has been paid with His own blood, and now He extends to you forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and all you need to do is call upon Him to be your one and only Savior. And you are saved. We have many loved ones. All of us do. Some of you loved ones recently who have gone to be with Him. Who are right there in this verse. With Him also that is of a contrite spirit of the humble. And He is even now reviving their hearts in His presence. And he says to Israel, verse 16, I will not contend forever, neither will I be always wroth, for the Spirit should fall before me, the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him, I hid him 
and was wroth, and, and he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off and to him that is near, saith the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Are you wicked today? Are you trusting in your own goodness your own works, your own righteousness to make it through life, that you're going to stand before God and, and read off to Him your resume. Friend, I plead with you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God today and find yourself forgiven of all of those sins, given eternal life and hope. But we can only receive that grace through faith, not of ourselves. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. God who has declared the end from the beginning. God who is the high and lofty one. God who has promised judgment also promises peace. And the choice is yours. What you will receive in the days ahead. We've looked at the first six trumpets of judgment announcing God's wrath, the day of the Lord. And now this morning, for a few moments, we're going to consider the final trumpets. Now, the seventh trumpet has been spoken about before we get to chapter 11. Back in chapter 8, verse 13, we read, And beheld, I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. There are three more trumpets. We've talked about number five. We've talked about number six. The seventh one is coming. It is a great woe upon the earth. We're going to see why in a moment. This trumpet has also been pre-announced in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 5 says, And the angel, the angel of the Lord, I believe, in chapter 10, the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. The seventh trumpet will encompass the final revelations of the mysteries of God. And those mysteries will be woe to those who still call the earth their home. And so we come to chapter 11 and the seventh trumpet itself. Look with me in verse 14. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, 
we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry. And thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. Remember, as we saw last time we were together, the temple that will be rebuilt, the third temple, is not the temple of God. It's not the temple of the true Christ because it will not be built to worship Christ. It is a temple of defiance against Christ. As the Jews seek to reestablish the old covenant which has already been nailed to the cross. Which has already been finished. Don't let some false teacher trick you into trying to come under the Judaism that Paul wrote against. That the New Testament wrote against. To try to pull you back under the law. The law has already convicted you. And Christ has already died for you to take the penalty of the law. There is no double jeopardy, friend. The law is dead. Now, does it still have value? Well, it has value in that it, 1 Timothy chapter 1, still shows us what sin is. It shows us what God considers wicked. But it doesn't have any value in, in the forgiveness of sins, the removal of sins. It doesn't have any instruction for how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the sense of our, our sacrificial system, which is gone. And the Israeli codes, which are finished, which were for a time that is now past. There's a temple, though, in heaven, and that will be opened. And the Ark of the Covenant the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now, we have a few moments this morning, and I'm just going to share with you five things this morning. Uh, I say that, you know that that's preacher talk, right? There's going to be a few more than five things. But there's five things I want to in particular highlight, uh, not counting this first one. I want to just remind you, I don't have time to re-preach re this, okay? The seventh trumpet of Revelation is not the last trump of 1 Corinthians 15. I just want to highlight that again. The last trump of 1 Corinthians 15 is a reference to the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets was called the last trump. It was not the last trump of the year, by the way. There was a trump after that called the Great Trump. The Feast of the Great Trump, which came after the Feast of the Last Trump. Why is it called Last Preacher if it's not the last? Well, because it's the last of two. The first trump, the Feast of the First Trump, Pentecost. Pentecost. The Feast of the Last Trump, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Two trumpets, the Jews, they don't understand this. Those who don't know Messiah don't understand this. But see, they believe that those two trumps are represented by the two horns of the ram that were caught when Abraham raised his knife to kill his own son. And God said, now I know. Hold your hand. I have provided another sacrifice. 
And they don't understand why, but they believe that those two horns represent the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. And so the first trump, Pentecost. The last trump, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Friend, the two trumps, the first and the last trump, are a prophetic picture of the church age. We began on, on Pentecost. We're out of here on trumpets when the last trump of the rapture, the harpazo, sounds and we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's already happened in Revelation. That happens back in chapter 4, verse 1 when the door of heaven is opened and John is caught up. That's a picture of the rapture and we then see the church in the throne room of God in Revelation 4 through 5. But here today, I want to show you the seventh trump, five things about the seventh trump. Number one, the great voices that will proclaim Christ's coming reign. Christ has not yet taken up his earthly crown. He has not yet taken up his earthly crown. He has it. He's purchased it with his own blood. He's conquered sin, death, and the grave in His resurrection. But friend, Jesus is not reigning today. He's not. The Bible says Satan is reigning today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, The God of this age hath blinded people's minds to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are people so deceived? Because there is a God of this age who is actively blinding them. He uses the media to do it. He uses entertainment and distractions. He uses all sorts. He's got a big toolbox. He uses all sorts of things to shine the false lights of self-righteousness and pride in people's eyes to blind them from seeing the true light of the glory of Jesus Christ. But see, even though, as 1 John 5.19 says, today the whole earth lies under the power of the evil one, there is a day coming when Jesus will pick up His crown and will come back and reign. And while the first six trumpets were pronouncements of judgment on the earth, the seventh trumpet is a pronouncement of victory for us. That's why it's a woe to the world. That's why the world is despising it. That's why the world is full of anger when they hear this. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the kings plot a vain thing? See, on Judgment Day, the nations of the world, the armies of earth are going to be gathered in Megiddo, Armageddon Valley, and they're not going to be surprised by Christ's return. That's why they're there. They're there to fight Him. They know where He's coming back. They know He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And the armies of the world are going to gather to fight Him because the Antichrist is going to have them so fooled and so deceived that they're going to think they stand a chance. And the only thing that, surprised, that will surprise them in that day is how fast they die and how deep the blood flows. Up to the bridles of the horses it will flow. The great voices of heaven are proclaiming that while the earth is currently under Satan's reign, Jesus Christ is coming. See, in His death, in His resurrection, Jesus the God-man has secured 
for mankind the keys of death in Hades. Back in chapter 1, verse 18, I hold the keys. Satan, I got your keys, Jesus said. I hold the keys of death in Hades. We'll talk, Lord willing, when we get to chapter 12. We'll talk about the day when Satan is kicked out of heaven. Spoiler alert, that has not happened yet. We'll get that. We'll get there when we get there. And he'll be shut out of heaven. The only place he's got left is earth. And Jesus is announcing, I'm coming for that too now. I'm coming for what belongs rightfully to me, not just as creator, but as the God man, the firstborn over all creation. I will take what rightfully belongs to me. It was created by him and for him, we're told. Colossians chapter one, he's coming to get it. The great voices in that day will proclaim it from heaven and the elders uh, will respond with worship. With worship, thanksgiving and praise. By the way, you don't understand the word worship literally means to bow. They're going to get on their knees. Now, I know you may not feel comfortable getting on your knees in public in church. And th listen, there's nothing magical about putting yourself down on the ground if your heart is not bowed. You can bow your body all you want. You can cross yourself. You can, you can say whatever you want. If your heart isn't right, it means nothing. But I encourage you, you at home, beside your bed, somewhere at some time, get on your knees when you pray. Humble yourself, because when you physically prostrate yourself, it helps your mind get the point. It helps your mind refocus on just how great he is and just how low I am. And the 24 elders, the glorified, we talked about, again, I'm not going to re-preach this, I don't have time for that this morning, but you go back and, and get the podcast, you check it out. The 24 elders are either completely representative of the church or they are literally 24, which I believe they're literally 24 men who are part of the church but are therefore representing all of us. And these 24 glorified saints who have already been raptured and already been rewarded and already been given their victor's crowns, they will in heaven, in their glorified states, Get on their faces. If I'm going to get on my face there, I better practice now. If I'm going to be so awed by His glory and holiness when I'm sinless, I ain't sinless, by the way. Neither are you. I better, get, I better start doing it now. I better get on my face now. I better worship Him now. And notice how they worship. They worship with thanksgiving and with praise. God, I'm, here's what I'm thankful for. And God, here's how great you are. I, I wonder how many of us need to spend some time today, one-on-one, -on -one, making a list of all the things that we can think of in a minute. Start with a minute. Might take you five minutes. Might take you ten minutes. But just start listing the things you're thankful for that He's given you, that He's done for you. And praise Him. So many of our prayers are about us, and there's a place for that. We are called and commanded to bring our supplications and our prayers to Him and our needs, to cast our cares upon Him. But do we have any time in our prayers here and now to praise Him for His greatness, His holiness, His faithfulness, His power? Because when I think about 
His great power, I become less afraid of the challenges I have to face. When I remind myself by praising Him for His greatness, why am, I, why am I afraid? That's why David was able to stand before Goliath. It's why Daniel was able to go down in that lion's den. It's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to march right into that fiery furnace because they were consumed with His greatness and His power. Do what you want, O King Nebuchadnezzar. Do whatever you got to do. God can save us out of this. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to you because we're going to stand before him. The elders respond with worship. By the way, this is the answer to the martyr's prayer of chapter 6, verse 10, when the martyr said, how long, how long? See, in chapter 6, the seventh week of Daniel, well, I, I believe somewhere in chapter 6, we see the beginning of the seventh the 70th week of Daniel, the, the um, last seven years of human history before the second coming. But what we do know, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us the exact start point in Revelation. We know in Daniel chapter 9 that when the Antichrist confirms a covenant, a seven-year covenant with Israel, that is the launch of the last final seven years before the second coming. We don't have that actual treaty signature signed, sealed, and delivered in terms of exactly when in Revelation, but here's what we do have. We do have when, is, when are we at the midpoint. We do have that. We're at the midpoint now. We're at three and a half years to go now. And the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the midpoint will be made clear. No more mysteries. No more when. No more what. Three and a half years, the two witnesses, whoever they are, I believe Elijah and Enoch, some believe Elijah and Moses. They may be right. I may be wrong on that. Whoever they are, three and a half years, preaching, 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 preaching. No more mysteries by the time the seventh trumpet sounds. Now, again, Christ has already begun to reign in heaven, but now he is going to reign on earth. He's going to establish his throne. He is taking up his power to come claim what is his. And again, the third thing, as I've already shared with you, the nations will react with rage. The eight nations will react with rage. See, at this time, the midpoint of the tribulation is when the Antichrist will declare himself to be God and will break the covenant. He will stand in the temple and he will declare himself to be God. And at that point, if you haven't chosen your side yet, your choice will be made for you. Your choice will be made for you because Christ is coming back to take what is rightfully him. Why do the nations rage and the kings plot a vain thing, Psalm 2, because Christ is coming and there's nothing that they can do about it. Now let me show you two more things before we're done today. I want you to notice again, the dead are on deck for judgment. Notice again, verse 18, the nations were angry, thy wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great. Let's stop there. The Old Testament saints are not part of the rapture. The Old Testament saints are not part of the rapture. The rapture was a mystery in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. Daniel prophesied about the resurrection. Job prophesied about the resurrection. They knew there was a coming resurrection. 
So when Paul says that the rapture of the church is a mystery, it can't be what they already know about. It can't be what has already been revealed. It's got to be something different. The church will be raptured and rewarded because as God promises covenants in his word, 1 Peter chapter 4, judgment begins with the house of God. Judgment begins with us. We will be judged before the world. And Peter says, if judgment begins with us, what will be the end of those who aren't judged with us? That's why you want to be part of that judgment. You want to be part of the rapture. You want to be part of the Bema seat, the judgment of rewards. But see, Ezekiel prophesied when, when God showed Ezekiel the vision of the valley of dry bones, God made a promise to Israel through Ezekiel that said, in that day, when it's time for the kingdom, that's when I'm going to wake you up from the dead. That's when I'm going to raise you out from your graves and I'm going to march you right into the kingdom. That judgment is coming after the rapture. So when does Abraham, when do we, now Abra, we'll see Abraham in heaven when we get there. But you see the Old Testament saints, when Jesus talked about the parables of the, of the, of the bride and the bridegroom, when Jesus told the parables about the wedding feast, many Christians mistakenly try to see themselves as the guests. Friend, you're the bride. You're the bride. You ain't one of the guests. You're, you're going to miss the whole meaning of those parables if you think you're one of the ones sitting there as a guest. Who are the guests? Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, on and on and on, Esther, on and on and on we can go. Those are the guests. They're not resurrected yet. They don't have their glorified bodies yet, but they're going to be celebrating because they know the kingdom is coming. They know their resurrection is coming and they'll be there to celebrate. See, friend, death cannot prevent God's blessing on his children. But it also cannot protect you from his wrath. You think. You think death is what's going to save you from God. You close your eyes in death, you open your eyes in eternity. De death is not the end of life, it's the end of biological life, but it's not the end of your spirit. It's not the end of your soul, your soul is going to continue on. Your spirit's going to continue on after death. Do you know him? Because see, these dead are going to be judged. Many people, they're going to die during these horrible judgments, but that is not the worst. That's not, what, that's not the worst that's coming. The servants of God will be all those martyrs. Death does not keep them from being rewarded. And all the wicked, death is not going to protect you from your judgment either. The resurrection will come after the second coming. The enemies of the Lord God Almighty will not be able to escape judgment. We'll get there, Lord willing, Revelation 19.20. Let me give you one more thing this morning. One more thing before we go. Great voices proclaiming Christ's coming reign in the seventh trumpet. The 24 elders respond with their worship. Nations respond with wrath. The dead are on deck. Batter up. They're on deck. For their judgment, good or bad, 
And then as we wait, the true temple of God in heaven is open. The true temple of God is and has always been in heaven. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews has um, some really amazing revelations about this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2 and 5, chapter 9, verse 24. But Hebrews is not the first place to reveal this to us. In fact, Moses uh, reveals this to us way back in Exodus chapter 25. Isaiah repeats it in his vision. When I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah chapter 6. The temple on earth is a model of the real thing in heaven. When Solomon built his temple, he was just building a model. Y'all put models together with your kids, or when you were a kid, you put together models. I like those snap-it models because I didn't have the patience for the glue to dry. I've got a, I got a model I asked for. My parents bought it for me. I'm, I'm not kidding, like 20 years ago. And it's still in my room, and it's still in the box. And I look at it once in a while, I think, I've got to get that model done. But it's not a snap it. <laughs> Who, what, I don't have time for that right now. Maybe Elijah will do it for me someday. It's just a model. The tabernacle of the old covenant was just a model. But it's a model of something real. It's a model of something real. See, when the third temple comes, they're building a temple. And it's a model. It's going to be modeled after the ones before it. It's going to be modeled after the true temple of God. And it's going to be built in His name, but it's not going to be for Him because... They reject Messiah when they build it. But see, there's a true temple, one that's not made by human hands or by merely human hands. I believe that's the temple that we're going to worship in on earth, in the kingdom, that it's going to come down. Notice the ark has been missing from Scripture since King Josiah returned it to Jerusalem all the way back in 2 Chronicles Chapter 35, 2 Kings chapter 23, that's somewhere around 650 B.C. I didn't double check all those dates. 44 years, though, before the temple, right around 44 years before the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in, ransacked the temple, looted the temple, took Israel captive. And ever since then, the Bible hasn't said anything about it. There's all kinds of stories. Some people believe it's under the Temple Mound. Some people believe it was taken to Ethiopia and it's hidden there. There's all kinds of stories. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? They make movies about it, right? Dun, 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 dun. I better. I don't want to. I don't want to get a copyright strike for, for the music. One of John Williams' best. I'll tell you where the temple's going to be. Now, is it there right now? Maybe. Maybe God's going to take it up when he raptures us. I don't know. But wherever it is now, I can tell you where it's going to be in the day of judgment. It's not going to be in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. It's going to be in the temple of heaven. And the ark contains three things as we close. The ark contains the tablets of the law. It contains manna, angel food. I've seen those pictures in, in, in you know, Bible dictionaries. Uh, well, we think manna is actually this plant. No, no, manna is angel food. That's what the Bible says. It's not something that grows here. It's something that fell from up there. And it's, there's some of it that's still in the Ark of the Covenant. And Aaron's rod is still in the Ark of the Covenant. David Jeremiah notes, Quote, amid the darkness of the tribulation, these artifacts represent, and he gives us three things. The law, the tablets of the law, re uh, represent the certainty of God's word. 
The manna represents God's provision, and Aaron's budding rod represents God's life. Friend, God's word is true. His provision is sure, and he is the only way that you can have eternal life with him. Don't put it off till tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. None of us may have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now, I comfort myself as a Christian knowing that as chaotic as the world is, no one gets away with anything. Right? Just Lane Maxwell, the only person ever to be convicted of trafficking children to nobody. In jail for trafficking children. Who did she traffic to? Well, just the billionaires and the millionaires that are paying to keep themselves covered up and protected, but not for long. No one gets away with anything. State of Maryland, you, you, you don't have to. In fact, you're not allowed to keep track of the number of abortions. We don't know how many babies are aborted in Maryland, murdered in Maryland. God knows. No one gets away with anything. The day of judgment is coming. Now, for me, the thought that Christ is going to come back and set up his kingdom, that's awesome. That's a relief. That's hope. But if I didn't know Jesus... I would be terrified. And if you don't know Jesus, you should be too. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. Whatever your need, I'm going to give you those. Specifically, if you're here, you're not saved. You've You've seen the testimony of three young men. Gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Got forgiveness of their sins. Have the hope of eternal life because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can have that hope too. Don't let what somebody might think of you and your pride keep you from receiving forgiveness and eternal life. The altar is open. Let's pray. Father, I pray if there's somebody here today that does not know you, that this would be the day when they would recognize that the trumpet will sound and that you are going to reign and better to bow the knee today and receive your grace and your love, forgiveness of sins, eternal life through Jesus Christ than to bow the knee then and submit to your wrath. God, whatever our needs today, God, we bring those to you right now. May your spirit move among us in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this hymn together. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301 724 5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. Youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.